Father, you are good, you are worthy of our praise, of our adoration, glory to you. We are in awe of you. We need to hear from you this morning. We are ready to set aside everything else. Help us, Lord. Inspire us, Lord. Give us ears to hear what you have to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Mike Elby. Thanks, Dave. I also want to pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you and ask for wisdom and illumination by your spirit of your holy word. We kneel before you recognizing that we need your word and we are ill-equipped on our own to make all and you make all things possible. I ask for special boldness in our discussions and that they lead to changed lives in our tables group as well as with those that we come in contact with this week. In Christ's name, amen. Um, okay, our, our speaker is not a mystery. Um, I'm Mike, uh, I'm here to speak. Um, for some of you it might have been. I uh, hope for none of you it still is. If, if so, raise your hand and we'll explain it again. I'm Mike. Um, no, the speaker has been revealed, uncovered, and this is going to get to what we're talking about today, and made known. Sometimes we talk about a mystery or a secret in a context that something is unknowable or something is, um, that will never be know, known. We speak of things like mystery meat. We speak of uh, mystery shoppers, you know, these things that... In my last job, we would occasionally get frustrated and throw up our hands and say very loudly, who can know these things? Um, it's a mystery. Um, when we talk of mystery today, when we talk of the mystery of Christ Jesus, it's not in that context. Um, when Paul speaks of the divine secret of Christ, he's talking about something that was hidden, such as who our speaker is, but is now revealed or made known. And God works this way. God knows everything, and his plan has been in motion all along, but he has progressively revealed his plan and himself and the way of things to us. Um, before we get on with it, I'd like to ask you about your blessings. Are you blessed? No, are you? Okay, how are you blessed? Health. How else are we blessed? Family. We're saved. Time, resources. God has given all kinds of things. I thought about this a bit. America. Um, I thought about this a bit and came up with some ideas of how I think I'm blessed. Um, in Genesis 12:3, God told Abram, In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And in Galatians, Paul explains the blessing, Christ has redeemed us out of the curse of the law, having become a curse on our behalf in order that the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. Now, when I think about blessings as I went through this, the biggest thing that I thought about was a spirit dwelling in me so that I can experience God in a very personal way. And think about it. We are actually invited to approach God in prayer. We are invited scripture and teaches us. And part of our blessing is also being able to go to God for wisdom, for strength, for whatever it is that we need to carry us through both times of comfort and times of suffering. So I just want to plant 
that seed in your mind as we talk about what Paul talks about in Ephesians today, about how we're blessed and what those blessings look like, and maybe more importantly, what we do with those blessings. Now to recap just a little bit, in Ephesians 2, 11 to 12, Paul outlines the unprecedented blessings that God has now poured out on the Gentiles. Prior to the time of Christ, God's blessings were focused on the Jews, focused on Israel, and a Savior would come of them to the entire world. The Gentiles were previously excluded from God's blessings, from God's covenants of the promise to the nations, and they had no hope because they didn't have God in the world. Then comes the glorious contrast that um, Paul speaks of in 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who used to be far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Paul shows how through the gospel, Christ reconciled the Jew on one hand, the Gentile on the other into a new structure, into one body to God through the cross. As a result, the Gentiles are no longer strangers and aliens, but are now fellow citizens of God's new people. They are members of his household, and together with the Jews, they are being built into a holy temple where God now dwells. And we discussed that two weeks ago. In light of that, Paul is about to pray for the Ephesians, that God would make these Jews a reality in their experience, and he will eventually pray that Christ will dwell in their hearts by faith in line with what he has said about them being built into that dwelling place of God. And in line with the unity of the Jews and Gentiles in Christ, he will pray that they may be rooted and grounded in love. However, as he starts chapter 3 that we're getting into, and we're going to talk to, about verses 1 to 7, um, he, he gets diverted a little. He, he doesn't go right into that prayer. And in fact, the verses 1 to 13 are essentially a parenthetical uh, idea that he has on his heart to express. What he's explaining here in part is that his imprisonment in Rome should not cause the Gentile church to doubt or to um, doubt God or question his mission. He reminds them of the great gift of the gospel and the privilege of serving and suffering for Christ's sake. So let's look at it together. For this reason, what reason is that? It's because of the reconciliation of the Jews and Gentiles to one another and God. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, that by revelation this divine secret was made known to me, as I wrote before briefly. When reading this, you will be able to understand my insight into the secret of Christ. Now, this secret was not disclosed to people in former generations, as has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, namely, that through the gospel, the Gentiles are fellow heirs, fellow members of the body, and fellow partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel according to the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the exercise of his power. Now, for context, he goes on. Let me just read this, and then we'll come back and focus on that first part. Paul continues, To me, less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given to proclaim to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to enlighten everyone about God's secret plan 
a secret that has been hidden for ages in God who created all things. The purpose of this enlightenment is that, we, that through the church, the multifaceted wisdom of God should now be disclosed to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. This was according to the eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access to God because of Christ's faithfulness. For this reason, I ask you not to lose heart because of what I am suffering for you, which is your, your glory. Amen. All right, let's focus on the first half of this section, the, the uh, previous slide there, 1 to 7. Paul is a prisoner for Christ Jesus. It, fascinate, it fascinates me that Paul gave, was given a special revelation. Paul was given a mission to reach out to the Gentiles. Now, he reached out to the Jews also. He went to the synagogues. He, he evangelized to the Jews, but he had a mission to the Gentiles. Paul was faithful in that calling. In his outreach to the Gentiles, Paul alienated himself from the Jews, and in some ways he alienated himself from the other apostles. He firmly understood what God's calling and the gospel was not to make the Gentiles disciples of Judaism. It was not to, for them to become Jews, but for them to come alongside of Israel in a common understanding, in a common community underneath the Holy Spirit's leadership and Christ's teachings. That is to bring them into this new thing called the body of Christ. Remember, Paul had taken up an offering from the Gentile churches to take to Jerusalem to help the suffering of the Jewish people in Jerusalem. And some commentators uh, suppose he did this in hopes of creating some kind of reconciliation between the Jews, the Christian Jews, and the Christian Gentiles. That he was building bridges between those communities, those vastly different communities, in order to promote a view, an idea of a new community of believers. However, as we read in Acts, when he went to Jerusalem and he went with the offering that he collected from the Gentiles, the uh, Jews saw him in the uh, temple, started a riot, and led to his imprisonment. So, in verse 3, I'm sorry, in chapter 3, Paul starts, for this reason, again, that reason because of the reconciliation of the Jews and the Gentiles to be one body in Christ. I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. He, he started off about to launch into a prayer, but now he's going into this idea of his mission, and um, he wants to explain this to them. Um, he won't get, won't get back to the prayer until verse 14, but now he explains his imprisonment should not cause them to doubt God or his apostleship. Indeed, you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. It's not like he's, thinks some of them not, had not heard of his ministry, with the, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship. Uh, though it is feasible that chur the church has grown since he has been there, and there are um, new members of the church that were not directly instructed by Paul, but it, it almost reads in the context that he's being a little facetious here, or sarcastic if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace. Um, the church, after all, was the result of Paul's ministry and the ministry to the Gentiles for which Paul was now suffering. Note one thing about Paul's suffering back in verse 1, the uh, prisoner of Christ Jesus. Although he did not, in our sense of justice, deserve to be in prison, um, Paul was 
grateful. He was almost joyful because he understood and submitted to God's sovereignty in all things. Um, he calls himself the prisoner of Christ Jesus. If he had considered himself a prisoner of the Jews or if he would considered himself a prisoner of the uh, Roman authorities, then he would have been um, angry. He, he would have um, maybe despised the Jews or, or angered at the injustice of his situation. Um, but instead, he saw himself as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and he knew that the Lord acted towards him with grace and kindness. And so he finds a way to rejoice even in his suffering as he understand, understood who he was in relation to who God is, and he understood the mission that God has given him. So one takeaway which we've discussed before is that there will be suffering and that there is suffering. And in our suffering, we need to maintain that God perspective, not our own sense of justice or injustice in the world. Um, The stewardship of God's grace, that empowered Paul and defined his mission to Gentiles. So his mission was clear. He understood his mission. How about us? Do we understand our mission? Do you know what your spiritual gifts are? And probably the more important question is, are you being a steward of your spiritual gifts, a steward of your blessings that you may have been able to list? Um, Are you being a steward of the grace and the gifts that God has given you? You know, stewardship is a sense of trust. It's a sense that I've been given this thing and I need to take care of it, not hold on to it tightly, but just be a good steward, not waste those resources. That's one thing we're going to think about. Um, and then in verse 3, that by revelation the divine secret was made known to me as I wrote before briefly. Paul followed up his calling to take the gospel to the Gentiles by acknowledging that God has given him insight into this mystery of Christ. And that was by revelation. This was the means by which something was um, uncovered, something was made known to Paul, much like me speaking, duh, was made known to you all. Um, this word, by revelation, though, carries a sense of God's transcendence or his um, opening up a view into ultimate reality to us. Now, we all deal in secrets. A lot of us literally deal in secrets on a regular basis. Um, but my favorite secrets are when my boys are talking to me and they say, don't tell mom. That, that indicates really one of three things, but I'm only going to talk about two of them. Um, it's usually either a story of some grand adventure that would just, might freak her out, or it's they're planning a surprise for her. Now, when Paul talks about a secret, he's talking about the second example there. It's something that, it's not something that can't be known, but it's something that will be disclosed or has been disclosed. Um, revealed at the appropriate time, as one commentator said, and I liked how that was put, because God is all-knowing. It, it wasn't a mystery to God. He planned Christ's redemptive work from before the foundations of the world, and he has now made known the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, as we read earlier in Ephesians. But what changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and why is there a mystery in the Old Testament to begin with. 
one of the key things that changed was God's plan of salvation through Christ was fulfilled. Now, there are hints throughout the Old Testament how this was going to be done, when it was going to be done. Um, but the Jews didn't see that. And there's a reason they didn't see it, because it was not disclosed. That ultimate reality was not opened up. God showed the Jews that they could not keep the law. He showed the Jews that they had to make sacrifices to cover their sins, and all that pointed towards Christ as the ultimate sacrifice to cover the sins of all. What many did not realize is that God's plan was not just for the Jewish people, but for everyone, both Jew and Gentile, who receives Jesus Christ as their Savior. God's plan throughout Scripture has always been the same. Since the fall, that plan has been in motion. God reveals to us, it seems, only what we can handle and only at the appropriate time. He's all-knowing, we're not. We have not begun to even comprehend a portion of God's mind. And that's scriptural. That's in Isaiah. And that's humbling when we think about it and gives us more reason to rejoice over the things that have been revealed. Now that Christ's work on the cross has been completed, the mystery has been revealed, it's time to boldly proclaim the gospel to everyone, both Jew and Gentile. So what had he written them? as I wrote briefly before, that God, according to the riches of his grace, made known the mystery of his will to unite all things in Christ. And Paul goes on to say, when reading this, you will be able to understand my insight into the secret of Christ. The gospel is no longer a secret. It can be understood and it can be responded to. If you want to understand the mystery of Christ, there it is. Paul goes on to say, now, this secret was not disclosed to the people in former generations, as I explained, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The mystery is this, namely, that through the gospel, the Gentiles are fellow heirs, fellow members of the body, and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. Paul clearly points out the secret has been revealed, which was previously taught, and that he wrote about. So there we have it, the, the Holy Word of God. And I apologize for not bringing my Bible up here because I had copied it into my notes and it's sitting on the table, and I don't like that. The inspired Word of God, which points to Christ, explains Christ, and instructs us in the mystery of Christ. This is why getting into the Word is so important. Commentaries are great. Listening to teaching is great. Talking with your brothers around the table is great. But the instruction manual has been given to us, and we need to be in it to understand it. So I want you to think about this. The mystery of Christ is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise of Christ through the gospel. We'll get to some questions. How have you been blessed, and are you a good steward of the blessings you've received from God? This is the primary thing that God laid on my heart as I as I meditated and contemplated these, this beginning of chapter 3. How does the idea that we are stewards of Christ influence our attitudes towards others in the situation? And how can we encourage each other as men to share the secret of Jesus Christ to those who do not know? So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you for wisdom and candor as we discuss your word. I ask that we strengthen 
our bodies within this body and that we support one another and encourage each other to move forward and as we go about our way to follow your command and make disciples. Bless these men in Christ's name. Amen.